we're going to get into the message this morning. And uh, last Sunday morning, we, we dismissed our teenagers to go out those double doors right over here to my right. And they had a time together, a little fellowship, donuts, hang out. And they started talking about uh, their camp, which is happening tomorrow at Camp Deep Creek. And uh, we're just we're praying that they're going to have a tremendous time in the presence of the Lord uh, over these next few days. But as I watched dozens and dozens of young men and young women walk from this place through those doors, I just kept, just kept wrestling with this thought. I hope they're ready. I hope they're ready. Now, now you might say, Pastor, eating a donut and some chocolate milk, it does not take a lot of prep time. <laughs> That's not what I was taught. That's not what I was wrestling with. I, the thought was, is, is they walked out, that, you know, in here they're surrounded by, by people who have a shared love for God, and for the most part, a shared set of values that they also share. But for the world that they're growing up in right now, that's not true. And, and what I struggled with is I watched their, their beautiful young faces walk out those doors. I just kept hoping, thinking, praying. I hope they're ready. You see... We now live in what we might call a post-Christian America. For many years, our nation was upheld by what we would call Judeo-Christian values. That does not mean that everyone in our nation was Christ-like. That does not mean that our nation was perfect. It doesn't mean that at all. We had and we have our share of sin. But in spite of those sins, many people in our nation subscribe to a common set of values. And those values helped to uh, shape our sense of right and wrong, good and evil, moral and immoral. I remember a time as, as, as a kid watching TV, there was a, a time in our nation that if a television show, uh, it, they just would not use profanity at all. You just didn't hear it at all. And, uh, and even then, it was years and years later, and, and when cable came out, then you would start to hear some profanity. But in the early days, they wouldn't use profanity on TV. If they showed a master bedroom, they would show two beds in it, implying that husbands and wives slept separately. And some of the husbands are looking at me right now, and they say, you're saying, Pastor, that's not what normal married couples do? No, bro, you got some issues at home. Okay, we're going to help you with that today. And I know, looking back, that was, that was probably kind of silly, like, because we all wondered, hey, where'd the kids come from? <laughs> right? But today we've gone to another extreme. Today our kids are growing up in a world where Nickelodeon uses drag queens to disciple our kids on things like gender and sexuality. We've fallen. We've fallen Far and we've fallen fast. The people producing content for our families today are not just actors, they are activists. Their goal is not to entertain, their goal is to indoctrinate. And frankly, they're doing a really, really good job. We're living in a culture that not only dwells in darkness, but we celebrate darkness. We're puffed up in our own pride. The Old Testament prophet 
Isaiah spoke of our day. He said this in Isaiah 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Our young people, those that we celebrate here in this church, are literally growing up in a day where culture will look at good and say, nope, that's evil. And then they'll look straight into the eyes of evil and they'll say, hmm, that's good. And if you question their judgment... You will be the one who is attacked for your radical views. My heart breaks this morning for this generation because in the end, sin always brings destruction. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way that seems, everyone say seems. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A funny thing happens when enough people tell you something is right, it starts to seem right. (laughs) And in today's world, we have a united set of voices that tell us every day what they deem as, quote, right. I've never seen anything like it in my life. The news, the media, the entertainment industry, often education, government, business, it's like they are all working from the same set of cue cards. Have you noticed? (laughs) It doesn't matter what you turn on your television or what you bring up on your phone. They're all working from the same set of cue cards. They They are united and they tell us all day long what they deem as right. So unless you have the ability to think critically for yourself, you walk away thinking, well, I guess they must be right. As I wrestled with my thought from last week, I hope they're ready. I was led to an Old Testament passage of Scripture about a young man by the name of Asa. Asa is found in a couple of books of the Bible, but 2 Chronicles 15 is where we're going to be today. Asa was born into a royal family. His father was a king, but he was an ungodly king. Asa also had a high-profile grandma the queen mother, but she was a very immoral woman. This man was born into political royalty, but spiritual poverty. But somehow, through the grace of God, God puts his hand upon Asa's life, and Asa's heart is tender enough to feel it, and God begins to use this young man in a profound way. And as I look at the young people in our church, I'm saying, Lord, would you raise up strong, prophetic, bold voices who will stand for truth, who will look into the eyes of evil and call it evil, who will look at good and call it good, who will not be intimidated by the tidal wave of culture and be a good voice of clarity in our day and age. We need it. Second Chronicles 15 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, And when he went out to meet Asa, he said to him, Hear me, Asa, in all Judah and Benjamin. Now listen to this. This is so important. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. This one prophecy becomes like a banner over King Asa's life. The Lord is with you 
while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. It seems simple. It seems pretty cut and dry. However, it's both simple and profound. And it's not just a word to Asa. It's a word to all of us. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Friends, I can track my spiritual progress or decline like data on a spreadsheet. Norm, when I seek the Lord, I can see his hand of blessing all over my life. But when I choose to go my own way, somehow things just start to go poorly for me. Now, it's not that God is blessing and then cursing my life depending upon my behavior. But it's when I'm seeking Him, I just somehow make better decisions. Anybody else? It's like when I'm putting him first, I don't know what it is, but I just seem to walk in more peace. I just seem to walk in more wisdom. When when, when I'm seeking him, I, I find him and I can just sense his presence and his blessing upon my life. But the opposite is also true. When I choose to put him last. When I choose to seek my own will, when I choose to go my own way, the results are predictable. I've been pastoring a long time now, and I can predict with almost certainty when people are about to experience self-inflicted pain in their lives. It's not that I'm a prophet. It's just predictable. They'll, They'll drop out of their small group. They'll start hanging out with a different set of friends. Their church attendance will, will, will become sporadic. And then pretty soon it'll be two, three, four weeks where I haven't seen them at all. The ladies, will the, their skirts will get shorter. And men will pierce something or buy something they can't afford. Oh, I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning. It's predictable, people. (laughs) It's a pattern. It happens every single time. Church, hear me this morning. The Lord is with you while you are with Him. The best life is the blessed life. Seek Him first and He promised that He'll add everything else that you truly need to you. Stop looking for love and happiness and peace and fulfillment in all the wrong places. The Lord is with you while you are with Him. But if you forsake Him, it's not that God throws you away. It's that He lets you have what you're seeking. And when he does, you experience pain, experience loneliness, you experience disaster. This prophecy spoken to a young king named Asa, he comes from a horrible family. His dad is a sinful man and his grandma is worse. We're on the radio today, we're online, and there are children in the room, so I cannot even begin to tell you the extent of his grandmother's sin, but it was obscene, and it was public, and she was a ringleader in it. 
And if you were to, to look at where Asa came from, an immoral grandma, an immoral dad, you would say that Asa is going to follow in their footsteps. But here's what I love about God. When you seek Him individually, you are not destined to repeat the generational sins of your family. Do you hear me this morning? You do not have to follow in their footsteps. You have a choice. You are not powerless. As you seek God, He can turn you from being a follower to a trailblazer, and you can lead the next generation into a godly heritage. Asa hears these words spoken over his life. Asa, if you'll be with the Lord, He'll be with you. And they move from his, his ears down to his heart. And look at verse 8, and it says, When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage. Everybody say courage. He took courage. Hear me, Christian. It takes courage to be a true follower of Jesus today. It takes courage. I'm not talking about being a follower of Jesus who changes your theology to fit culture. In fact, if you're changing what you believe to go along with culture, you're not a Christian. You have simply created your own religion in your own image. If you want to follow Jesus in this day, you're going to need to be a rebel to culture. It's going to take courage to look into the eyes of evil and call it evil because there will be a price to pay. Oh, if you keep your mouth shut and you let your God and your values be mocked, you probably won't face much uh, opposition. But if you choose to speak truth to lies, you will be persecuted. You will face opposition on the job and in school and on social media. If you're going to college, and a lot of our young, I was talking to our, our young folks backstage, and they're, they're, all, they're all going to college, and, and, and you know, they got a plan for their lives. I, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Come on, somebody. And they all have, they got their plan down, but come on, it's just common knowledge that the majority of universities in this nation are anti Christian. It's common knowledge. It's not, well, pastor, that's controversial. No, it's not. It's common knowledge. I'm not saying every teacher is. I'm not saying every professor is or every administrator is. God has some good godly people in those places too. They are sent there as missionaries to bring his light and his love. But I'm talking about as a whole, the majority of them are anti-Christian. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't go to college, but I'm saying our kids need to be ready. I hope they're ready. Even many of today's so-called Christian colleges are progressive. And, and what they do is they change the gospel every day to make it more acceptable to culture. Followers of Jesus need courage. Asa hears this prophecy over his life, and he takes courage. And look what he does, verse 8. When Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage. Courage. It's like courage is out here. God's offering it to him. He wraps his arms around it. He takes courage. And what did he do? He went around the land and he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. He restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. This young king went through the land destroying idols of false worship. He called the people to repentance and he restored true worship of the Lord. That takes guts. That takes courage. The nation of Israel was living in a day similar to ours. The nation was sinful and they were proud of it. They didn't try to hide their sins. They would sin in the streets. They would even build monuments to their sin and everybody went along with it. 
It seemed right, even to Asa's family. You know, one of the things that saddens me the most is that we have, as we've moved away from Christian values, we've removed so many of the good examples that our kids would have had. And even their own families are openly living in sin before them. Was at the soccer field. We, our kids are playing soccer, and my wife Patty coaches, and, and I'm there the other day, and it was our 10-year-old's game. Sit and listen to a grandfather talk to a father. And the amount of vulgar language coming out of grandpa's mouth was just heartbreaking. Now, it's not because I've never heard those things before. But if he talks like that at the soccer field, how bad is it when he gets home? And his 10-year-old granddaughter is hearing that. And, and to her, she's going to walk away and she's going to think this, this is the way you talk. It's going to be normal for her. As I drive around Garrett County, and I love Garrett County. God called us here. We don't, we don't hate the place we love. We, we love this place. But I, I'm saddened because I see bumper stickers and car decals that use filthy language. And, and, and on, the, on the back of the mirror of the big, or on the back of the window of the big truck, there'll be some sort of, you know, bad language or a sexual reference. And then on the other side, there'll be a baby on board sticker. And I think if the mom calls herself the B word, what is the daughter going to call herself? How's the son going to treat his girlfriend or his wife if that's the kind of example mom is setting for him? The other night at 7-Eleven, a vulgar man in a white van, sir, I hope you're listening today, playing music that no one should have to hear. My wife and my daughter had to hear some of it. I, I'm telling you, I hope that man is not raising kids. I could go on and on. Don't even get me started about Facebook and how every picture of mom has a drink in her hand and she looks like she can't see straight while her kids are behind her in the yard playing wiffle ball. Mom, they're watching you. Dad, they're listening to you. Grandma, they see what you do. I used to be worried about kids being influenced by their friends, but now I'm worried about kids being influenced by their own families. You might say, Pastor, you're being harsh today. No, I'm speaking the truth in love today. We preach grace at this church, but the grace of God is not offered to us so that we can go on sinning. The grace of God is offered to us so we can repent and experience transformation in our lives. In the day of darkness that we're living in, God is looking for people who will light up the darkness, not celebrate it. Even if no one else, and you're listening to me, young people, even if no one else in your family is loyal to God, you can have your own relationship with God. Even if everyone else in your family glorifies sin, you can still choose to live in holiness. I mentioned Asa's grandma a couple of times. But look at how he responds to her sin in verse 16. Also he, Asa, removed Makkah, this is the grandmother of Asa the king, from being queen mother. 
because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa, watch what he does. He cuts down her image. It was a pole. Okay? It was a pole, and they committed public sins in the valley where this pole was. He cut down her obscene image. He crushed it, and he burned it by the brook Kidron. This brother ain't playing. He says, Grandma, I'm sorry, but I can't participate in your sin, and I can't permit you to continue it. He removes her from public office. He cuts down her pole. He crushes it, and he burns it. You think Queen Elizabeth, Harry, and Meghan are having drama right now? They ain't nothing compared to these folks. Can you imagine how much pressure there would have been on this young man to just leave that pole? Asa, lighten up. Asa, you want people, you're, you're a young king, your dad was a king, I mean, you've just got this royal family. Asa, lighten up a little bit. That pole's been there for a long time. People have been sending at that pole for a long time. It's not that big a deal. Asa, can you imagine the pressure this young man would have been under to just, you know what, just, just don't go to that valley, Asa. Just ignore it. Just pretend like it's not there. Asa, everybody's been doing it. It seems right. Who are you to judge, Asa? Asa was a man of God. Therefore, he had a responsibility to judge. And as he did, God blessed him, God promoted him, God used him because he was willing to look at something that everyone else called good and he said, nope, that's evil. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that's courage. That's courage to be able to do that. And I want to talk to some people listening this morning. You have no godly example in your family. You... you, you you, you can't look at generation after generation of people serving God and loving God. Well, congratulations. You are God's chosen vessel. You're going to be the first. And even if you don't have a godly heritage, you can create one. Do you hear me this morning? He's, he's placed his hand in your life. And some of you, you're, you're, you're here at this church. You're first generation Christian. Congratulations. It's up to you. It's up to you. God has put a calling upon your life, just like he did King Aces. You are the trailblazer. And if you didn't come from a godly heritage, now is your time to start creating one. Asa came from a horrible family, but God called him this. God called him this, a lamp in Jerusalem. A lamp in Jerusalem. He was, his life wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. But he had a relationship with God that lit up the darkness and he showed tremendous courage when confronting sin. But you know what? Asa is not the only one called to be a lamp. New Testament, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 11. He says this, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. What is Jesus saying? Same thing I just said. He's where I got it from. <laughs> it's good news, right? Since this is a church. <laughs> Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, not everyone's going to like you. If you're going to follow me, you're not entering a popularity contest. If you're going to follow me, there's going to be a price to pay. Verse 12, rejoice 
and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward where? In heaven. You see, most of our problem is we want the reward now. We want the likes now. We want the popularity now. We want to be accepted by culture now. We don't want to pay any prices now. And Jesus said, no, 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 my friends. That's not the way it works. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be persecuted. But great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. We say Jesus is the light of the world. He turns it back on us and says, no, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He goes on and says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket But they put it on a lampstand, and it shall give light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Church, God, he just didn't want to raise up a lamp in Jerusalem. But he wants to raise up a lamp in Grantsville. Wants to raise up a lamp in accident. He said, I didn't even know God knew we're accidented. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he wants to raise up a lamp in Kitzmiller. Come on, somebody. He wants to raise up a lamp in Crelin. He wants to raise up a lamp in Oakland. We live in a world that looks at evil and calls it good. And in that world, God wants to raise you up to be a lamp that you can say, no, 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 hold on a minute. That ain't good. That's evil. He wants to raise up people who are bold. He wants to raise up people who have courage. He wants to raise up people who will speak truth to lies. You don't have to be a jerk to do it. Come on. But when God prompts you, out of love. You say, Pastor, it's, it's not loving to tell people they're sinning. Yes, it is. Pastor, it's, it's, it's not loving to point out that's being judgmental. Y'all, some of you only know one verse in the Bible. Do not judge. Read the whole thing. There are lots of verses that tell us we have to judge. You made a judgment this morning. You decided to come here and not somewhere else. How judgmental are you? You're going to make a judgment for lunch. What are you going to eat? Norm, what are you having for lunch? Don't act like you haven't thought about it. I've met with you twice and we've eaten both times. Don't even act like you haven't thought about it. We make judgments all the time in the world. Listen, the world is not, we don't need jerks. We don't need religious people who drag around 10-pound Bibles ready to hit someone over the head. But do, we do need people who have taken their courage. And when it's evil... Call it evil. And when it's good, call it good. And yeah, there might be some persecution. There might be a price to pay. But your reward will be great in heaven. And God will use your light, your lamp, to light the way for somebody else. The reason I'm here today is because God sent people into my life over and over again who lovingly said, hey, Dave, that ain't good. Hey, Dave, what you're doing is hurting your family. Hey, Dave, what you're doing right there is is hurting yourself. I was a young man. I'd been a musician musician for years, and I felt God was calling me out of that lifestyle. And I was in bars three or four nights a week and and, and, uh, 
you know, had a lot of fun playing music, but boy, there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of bad stuff. And uh, God opened up a door. I didn't know how to do anything else. God opened up a door and, uh, and, and it was working in a music store. So, you know, going to manage this music store. And so on, on Monday mornings, um, no musicians come into music store. They're trying to recover from the weekend. They've partied all week and, and Monday. They're not, they're not waking up early on Monday morning. They're sleeping in. But I'll tell you who comes into music stores on Monday mornings. Um, the local ladies from the Pentecostal church who had beat their tambourines on their hips so hard on Sunday morning that the little jingly things fell off of them. And so every Monday morning, they would need a new tambourine. They'd bring in the praying hands tambourine. They'd bring in the dove tambourine. And they'd say, hey, hey, sir, uh, this tambourine, it, is, it fell apart yesterday. And I said, well, ma'am, how long did you beat on that? And she said, well, our services are three hours long. I said, well, ma'am, it, it's not an industrial tambourine. This is meant, this is meant for private use. And, and she'd buy herself a new tambourine. And then she'd look at me. A lot, a lot of African-American ladies would, would come in, black ladies who had beat that thing for three hours on Sunday morning. They'd look at me and they would say, hey, Dave, where did you go to church yesterday? Well, I mean, I'm still looking for a church. Come on, how, how many been there? Well, you know, I'm trying to find the right fit for me and my family. You know, I'm just, uh, you know. Oh, you know what? I watch, uh, I watch Jimmy Swaggart on TV. I watch church on TV. And I had a hundred excuses. But you know what God was doing? He was using those ladies with broken tambourines to speak into my broken life. And the Holy Spirit that was on them was convicting me and I was awakening to the fact that I needed a God in my life that I didn't create I needed an encounter with Jesus Christ friends they were lamps in my life young people God has called you to be a lamp in this culture that's living in darkness will you stand with me let's pray When I look at this story of a young man who faced so much opposition but yet operated in so much courage, I'm not discouraged. I'm hopeful. And when I see the young people in our church and they're, they're getting ready for camp this week, I want us all to take a moment and let's pray. And let's pray that God would put such a calling, such an anointing in their lives. They would not be able to run from it, but he would raise them up. And use them for his glory. Father, we lift up this beautiful generation of young ladies, young men that you've entrusted into our care, into our families, into our church and community. And there's going to be dozens of them gathered this week, God. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to their hearts. That you do an incredible work, Lord. That as they pull on the grounds at Camp Deep Creek, your Holy Spirit is going to be there waiting for them, God. Your manifest presence is going to be there, Lord. As they worship, God, I pray that tears would roll down their cheeks. I pray, Lord, that nothing would get in, in the way of you being enthroned in their worship. God, as they open up your word and as, your, as, our, as our leaders speak your word, 
words of life and hope into their hearts, Father, as they pray for them, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you'd put such a calling, such an anointing upon their lives like you did Asa, Father. Raise them up. Let them be a light in this present darkness, Lord. Father, I also want to pray for anyone who's here today and they need to take that next step in the relationship with you. Last night, 10.30, 8 p.m., we got an email from someone who said, I need to begin a relationship with God. Young lady, I don't know if you're here this morning or not, or if you're listening. I'm telling you, that's the greatest decision you can ever make. Maybe there are others listening, others in this room. Yeah, you kind of know the Lord, but you're not walking with Him. You're not serious about it. Today, He's drawing you to take that next step. Would you just surrender your will? Would you stop fighting? Would you say yes to Jesus? He loves you with an incredible love. But he does not want to leave you where you are. He wants to sanctify you. It's a big Bible word, but it just means to to make you more like him. He, He wants to remove the things from your life that are hurting you, hurting your family. He wants to help you walk in holiness. He wants to show you the gifts that he's placed inside of each one of us. And, and he, wants you to, he wants to help you use those gifts for his glory and for this world. If that's you today, would you just surrender? Say, yes, Lord, that's me. I need to know you on a personal level. Come into my life. Cleanse me of my past. Change my heart, God. Make it more like yours. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful to love us, your church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.